Welcome to Teeth and Titanium, a podcast about oral surgery, residency, and life. We would like to thank the Canadian Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery for their continued support. All opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and their guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the CAOMS. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for surgical decision making. Welcome everyone to Teeth and Titanium. This is episode number 21, our second year anniversary. Oscar, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I can't believe we're at year two. Time has really flown by. I get that we were in a pandemic, so maybe time didn't seem like time, but I still can't believe we're at year two already. I know. It's second year anniversary, really fun time to celebrate. And, you know, I can't remember how many years we thought we'd make it to, but we're at I year said two. Six months. <laughs> yeah. In my mind, I was thinking, like, did we say five years? I can't remember how long we thought this would go, but second year anniversary, it's, yeah. it's not bad. Yeah, it's longer than my marriage so far. Yeah, as we discovered last time. Yeah, and, and time is flying. As you said, we have, uh, you know, Iceland's coming up pretty soon. We're super pumped for that. And uh, another good thing that, you know, comes with the anniversary episode is we get to do our one of our favorite segments, which is our anniversary segment, where we look at past guests. And what we've they had said. some good ones over the year. Yeah, we've had some really good ones over the year, so we'll be able to hear from them, or most of them anyways, and uh, kind of think about, you know, reflect on the past year of the podcast and, and see what we learned. Yeah, because when we were kind of getting ready for this, this episode, we really started talking about all the guests we've had, and we've been pretty privileged on who we've been able to get on the podcast. Mm-hmm. They really have taught us a lot. Definitely. We have some great guests lined up already for this upcoming year. Yeah, that's exciting. So definitely, definitely a lot of stuff to talk about. I didn't want to mention to you, Oscar, I was at, you know, surgical orthodontic clinic today, downtown at U of T teaching and Fritz Keenly was there, as you know, Fritz is, is there uh, with me and Marco and he did have a question. Oh, he said, you guys are recording tonight. I have a question for you guys. Cause I was talking about Iceland. Is he coming on? Well, well no, <laughs> luckily, luckily it wasn't that. He's never asked to come on. Okay, okay. I'm like every other person we know. No, his question was, you know, Wendell, you're. You're going to Iceland, you're doing all these conferences. He's heard about your life, obviously, through knowing you and also the podcast. Yeah. So Fritz's question was, how do first year guys travel the world so quickly? And how do second year or third year guys like you own homes and Audis already? So parents help. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer. And, Fritz, and Fritz, working wives help. Work, yeah, that, that's a good one too. Working wives help, help support us. And also Fritz told me he's going to go home and rethink his whole thought process on budgeting. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think Fritz should, should be asking because I heard Fritz lives a pretty nice life from what I've heard. Yeah. Well, AKA the boat we're talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about like his boat and yeah. he always gets mad. Which he, doesn't exist. Because he doesn't own a boat, but he, I think he owns a Porsche or yeah. something. So yeah. Has a ski resort from what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> but the other good thing he told me today is that he has booked Iceland, so he's going to be there too. Oh, that's awesome. That's actually amazing to hear. Yeah. So uh, more and more people signing up. Definitely looking forward to Shout that. Shout out to Fritz. Yeah. And looking forward to our live episode. All I will say when I told him, you know, we were doing a live episode and he should be there. His response was, yeah, I'll probably be at the bar. And I would say, I saw our time slot and I'm excited for it, but half the people will be getting ready for dinner at the bar. No, the good news is, and this is a little bit of a spoiler. Oh. Wanted to be a bit of a surprise, but now that you brought it up, they're going to bring the bar to our live event. Oh, that's even better. We may not even finish the recording. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to have wine, beer, alcohol, yeah. drink, snacks. Yeah. It's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. Okay. Awesome. I think we're going to be bleeping out a lot of things on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. More work for the editor. Yeah. All right, Oscar, let's uh, jump into some current events.
So one thing I wanted to bring up was we had had a large conversation on topical mm -hmm. NSA the other day. Yep. We reviewed an article. It had great discussion on when we use it, when we don't use it. A lot of people have reached out to us telling us, you know, when they use it, yep. when they don't use it. And most people use it a lot more at the beginning of their career than they would stop using it. And now people are kind of coming back to it. So it seems like most people are using it for certain scenarios. I just, I just got to the end of my career quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you're an anomaly. But one thing I forgot to mention, and it's from a clinical experience was, when it comes to patients with pain in a specific tooth, or especially infection, I actually find when I'm rubbing the topical, it causes a tremendous amount of pain. Oh. Because they have erythema and infection yeah, around yeah. the tooth, or sometimes pus, or it's swollen. So when you're rubbing the topical, yeah. you're pushing on the tooth that's hurting. Yeah. They don't have the tooth removed. It, it drives them crazy. So I think sometimes it actually makes it worse. Prove my point. Don't use <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I think that was something to think about is maybe in someone with a, a hot tooth or an infected tooth, sometimes it's actually worse. Just get the local in. Just get the local in right away. Yeah. I found that the rubbing actually causes more pain. The next thing I wanted to bring up was, you know how they always say that phrase like, oh, a friend that will always be there if you need them. And. You know, we'll always say, yeah, he, he would be for me in a hard time. And yeah. we, we would look at each other that way. I would say, don't call me. <laughs> no, 100%, yeah. I yeah, agree. we would think of that way. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, we're fortunate. I mean, knock on wood, we, we've never been in that situation before. So we really don't know. No, like when you're faced with it? Yeah, we really don't know. And I just feel like, you know, now that we're both in private practice, we're both like venturing on into life. I feel like these moments are going to come up more and more, especially traveling to Iceland, like, doing a live show together. Like what if someone's trying to, because apparently there's gonna be hecklers there and they're gonna try, their goal is to tear us apart. I love hecklers though. I'm you, completely okay with that. And you'll sell me down the river in a second. Yeah, like, like, like I just said, I'll forget your number. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to see, we'll have to see how we deal with them and if, they're, if they get between us. I don't think, honestly, I, I think we're both pretty easygoing guys. So I don't think that's gonna happen. Plus, the reality is, is, you know, we have a lifetime of episodes to rip them back. Oh, yeah, and they will be on. And they will be on, yeah. <laughs> so they can't defend themselves. <laughs> exactly. That's the best thing, is no one can yeah. defend themselves. So have themselves. to let your own risk, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of traveling the world in conferences, this is what kind of Fritz was alluding to. I did go to Spain recently for the Face Ahead conference. That's, conference. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm so talking about the trip, not the conference. You know, it was in Barcelona. Amazing. It was an AO conference. Yeah. So obviously a lot of us have done the AO yeah. trauma courses, and we love those. They were great. Really, really good. And we highly recommend them to all residents. But this was an AO conference, which I'd never been to. Yeah. And I was fortunate to be invited to present there. But I went there, I, I won't lie to you, with lower expectations, because I was looking at the, the lineup and the yeah. people. I didn't recognize the names as much. Okay. Yeah. Ended up completely changing my mind. Opened wow. up my mind completely. Wow. And the reason is, when you don't recognize the names of the presenters, and we kind of talked about this with guests on the podcast. Yeah you're actually more likely to maybe listen to something or hear something that you've never heard before or maybe a different approach. Yeah. And I just found in general, the whole European approach to oral surgery is not completely different, but really eye-opening. Like it was a big perspective. So, because I wasn't there, what do you mean on that? Or like, how can you explain that? So one example I would give is, I find that when it comes to bone grafting and dental implants, they're much more advanced. Oh, it's different level. Yeah, like, I find the research they do, the trials they do. Have you seen some um, of the work they do? The work they oh. do, the presentations they give, like, I feel like they are top of the line yeah, when yeah. it comes to implants and bone grafting. But there's no question about that. On the other hand, when it comes to facial and trauma and orthognathic surgery, I feel like they lag behind North oh, America. So see, that I have no experience with them because I haven't seen them. Yeah. So it's nice to see that that is the case. That's funny. Because I found when I was watching a lot of the orthodontic presentations, for example, I'd be like, mm, that doesn't really make sense or yeah. I wouldn't do that. Or, or like, or, or, well, that's not novel. Like That's not novel. That's a few years ago. Yeah. Whereas every time there'd be bone grafting, You're taking implants, notes, like, even lifestyle stuff, I'm like, wow, 
This is these like pearls on pearls on pearls. I actually wow. it opened my eyes and getting to chat with them was really nice because the, the whole method methodology to this conference was open discussion and networking. Like that's they had amazing. networking breaks. Oh, that's amazing. So they give Even a lot that alone is different. The whole conference like style and vibe was different. And it's something we can really learn from because I'll give you an example. You do a one hour lecture. Yeah. Do another one hour lecture. Then you break off for 45 minutes. And the 45 minutes is they literally say and they announce and tell everyone the 45 minutes is to come up to the experts and talk to them, talk to other people, grab a coffee, visit the booth, like network. Yeah. Mix, yeah. Like, don't sit at your seat. Don't sit at your seat. And when you go up to people, everyone's open to talking. Everyone wants to chat. Like it was totally different. That's a, but see, that's a very just different like dynamic than North America, North mm -hmm. America, like in the middle of a conference, people are sitting there waiting for it to start again. And no one tries to leave their seat. That's just a different continent. Like it, it, it's a different perspective on life. I think too, in general, mm -hmm. that's awesome to see though. It was really, really nice. Yeah. And then the other thing they had is they had um, components where you break up into small groups. Mm -hmm. It was really nice. So they have a presenter present like a case and, but they'd stop after a few slides and you and a group of five people around a computer with the same slides, They'd ask you like, okay, what is your analysis? What is your diagnosis? Oh. What would be your plan? And then everyone discusses it and you hear the different perspectives, different plans, and, they, and they're smart. They'd always pick plans that were a little bit debatable. Yeah, yeah. They're not gonna pick the slam dunk plan. Yeah, so right? that there is discussion. There is discussion. And it's really nice because you have like world experts that are presenting yeah. and giving you one-on-one -on -one feedback on what you think the plan is. And you're hiding in the back like, hope this guy doesn't pick me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, yeah, it was really, really cool. And I think we could learn a lot, you know, from a conference point of view, from their structure, their scheduling and the networking aspect. You may have sold me on that. And so do they, is this conference a yearly thing? No, that's the other thing is it's not a yearly thing. This okay. was supposed to be in 2020. Yeah. But then obviously got canceled. Yeah. yeah. Cause it was scheduled for March of 2020. Oh, <laughs> it's a little bit of a brutal timing there. Yeah. So it's been two years delayed and it wasn't like at the whole conference they were trying to sell, Hey, we're back next year. So I don't even know if it's back next year. It might, I think it actually be stronger if it was once every few years, yeah, yeah. just because it was such a nice format. But yeah, there was no kind of marketing or trying to sell, like sign up for this, or this will be the next conference. It was really just come so here, network and enjoy the, enjoy the event. So that's a 10 out of 10 experience then. That's, it was really nice. That's great. And you get to go to Spain, it's in yeah. Barcelona. Can't complain. Like, how are you complaining about that? Weather was nice. I was supposed to ask you that, how was the weather? It was nice. Oh. It was always there on 20, 22. Like that's perfect. Because you went early May. Yeah. Yeah, so it's still cold here. It was it was really, really nice. Yeah, so no complaints. Did miss Mother's Day. I was uh, I was away from Mother's Day. You were taking a beating on that. <laughs> so not, not the greatest, had to ask permission for that. <laughs> Ironically, I, I left for the airport on my wife's birthday and came back at night on Mother's Day. Wow. So it was you, a two for one. You know what, when we went back, when Fritz's question before, how do we do this lifestyle? Credit to wives, right? There. Understanding wives. Yeah, 100%. Oh, we, we'd be murder without our yeah. wives being understanding. Yeah. We both know that. Okay. Yeah, so shout out to the Face Ahead Conference. Really, really enjoyed it. And I would highly, highly recommend going to different conferences. Like, for example, I would love to go to the European National Meeting. Yeah. Or not national, but like it's a European Continental Meeting. It's like their version of Amos, but they do it for like all of Europe. Which is amazing. And the cool thing is it, it goes to like different countries that are like wild. Like I met people from Slovenia, Netherlands, like it's cool. You meet people and they're in totally different walks of life. So that that is impressive because it's just, it's not just one country. They have so many small countries that are so close that they mm -hmm. all get together. Mm -hmm. I think that's very impressive. And the last thing I'll mention is what's really nice is a lot of the European countries have a large public health component. So oh. they really understand what we go through with resources. Yeah. So they're not just trying to say you can do this, this is something yeah, like, time. Yeah, Amos and it's like, yeah, you just spend a million dollars and it's like, well, I can yeah. do, you can't do that again. A lot of Americans, they don't understand what we have to go through when it comes to yeah. hospital resources and OR time, not just being a thing that you book. So, so that's nice. Europe is a lot of it's public. So 
the guy that was talking to Slovenia, he understands what I mean by limited hospital overtime and limited hospital resources, doing VSP in-house, yeah. printing your own splints. Like, you know, they perfect. get all that. Speaking of Slovenia, Slovenia, six-year, four-year program, MD, DDS, what is it there? It was a four-year program, he said. Okay. Mm-hmm. But obviously tight-knit community, they all know each other. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He was saying it's a great location, though, because you can go up to the mountains. Or you can go down to the Mediterranean. Yeah, because you're right above Croatia. Yeah. yeah it's actually a nice location. Yeah, I never realized that. Yeah, hungry Budapest right around. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, oh. a, it's a nice spot. Europe's lucky. They can just travel. Yeah, there. you get on a train and you're in four different countries. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't even get to the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I explained to him how long it would take to fly to Vancouver and how much it would cost. And He's like, what? How what? many countries are in there? Ryanair does not give this for $30? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, that wraps up our current events, Oscar. Let's jump into our anniversary segment. So every year on our anniversary episode, we like to look back on the previous guests that we've had. And before we get to the guests we've had, I think also we're pretty good about admitting when we've messed up. Yeah. You know, we, we yeah, try to be honest. We call ourselves out. Yeah. We call ourselves out. You have to be humble. Yep. Yeah. And you know, we messed up. <laughs> when Alara was the president, we had her send in a voice note yes. introducing herself, explaining what her goals were for the year, talking about the CRAMS because she was the president. Yeah. And we just dropped the ball and totally forgot to we, do that. We actually year. didn't, but yeah. So so that's us completely. So that was completely us. And, and we actually both love Alero. So yeah. that's even worse. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. We, we, we love Alero. We, we, made, we made sure to have her on at yeah. least. Yeah. But then we had no continuation. <laughs> so Alero handed down the reins to Emily Archambeau yeah. from Laval. And she is the current CRAMS president. But we never reached out to her to welcome her or say, what are you hoping to do? We dropped the ball again. <laughs> but the good news is we realized our mistake. So we thought for the anniversary episode, let's reach out to her. Yeah. And uh, ask her to tell us about herself in the year. And uh, let's hear what she had to say. Hi, Teeth and Titanium. This is Emilie Archambault. I'm the current president of CRAOMS and a PGY6 resident at Laval University in Quebec City. As my term is coming to an end, I'd say that this year's highlight has been our career development webinar, which took place at the beginning of April. We had the pleasure of hearing doctors Sina Ashemi, Ferouz Schwick, and Simon Jean, three young surgeons with very different and interesting paths. This virtual meeting allowed for a very interesting dialogue, but also for residents of all levels to connect, which is pretty much the mission of CRAOMS. I'm hoping that the annual webinar is going to become a tradition, and I'm sure that my colleague Hanmin Miao, who takes the position as of July 1st, will make sure of that. I'd like to finish by saying that I'm absolutely thrilled to be featured on the coolest surgical podcast of the moment. I also owe you, Wendell and Oscar, a big thank you for wishing that someone from Laval would take the CRAOMS president position. Your wishes came true. Thanks, guys. All right, so thanks to Emily. Listen, she didn't sound bitter. No, no, she was thankful. Like, she's way nicer than I am. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or would have ghosted us. Yeah, or like, I would have been like, I'm not commenting at all. Now, we do need to break down a little bit what she said. You kind of raised your eyebrows at one point because she did say the coolest surgical podcast of the moment. Of the moment. I don't know what she's talking about. Yeah, why of the moment? Like, <laughs> yeah. are we losing like, our touch? Is she listening to something else? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are we losing our touch? Like, what's going on there? She also mentioned career day. Yeah. So I attended that. Listen, amazing event. I was about to say, I think that sounds like an awesome event. It was amazing because they had Sina, who's current fellow, talk about fellowship. That Firuz, who did a fellowship, but now is a new person in private practice. So, oh, okay. And her, her presentation was amazing. It was like 
seven things you need to know about. I think it was either seven. Was she in Portland? Yeah, she did Portland, she's, and yeah, now she's, she's super nice. Super, super we nice. We hit the exam at the same time. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. So you know her. I've never met her in person. Yeah, right, no, I have. I have met her in person one time. Really, really nice girl. And I think hers was either like seven tips you need to know or seven things to avoid. It was like a really cool, oh, practical yeah. advice. And I was like, you're like, I'm writing these down. And as a new student, like, 100% <laughs> I agree. Wish I knew that before. Wish I knew that before. You know, things that you, That's, you know, it's a good presentation. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, yeah, I wish I knew that earlier. And then they had Simon John, who's, who built his own private practice, wow. like from scratch. So that was really cool. So it was a good perspective. That's a complete spectrum right oh, there. Huge value to the residents. Yeah. So I thought it was a really, really nice event. And yeah, she's passing it on to him and Meow from McGill. Obviously, I know him Shout from McGill. Shout out to you guys. U of T Dentistry. U of T Dentistry. Loyal listener, as we talked about before. Like He's a loyal listener. Credit for all those things. That should be a requirement for being the president. You have to be a loyal listener to this. Yeah, show. and you can't just say you are. We're going to quiz you. <laughs> yeah, no, you can pass. I know for a fact he's no, listening no, every episode. For the next one. For the next one, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we have to make sure we don't drop the ball and get a quote from him yeah. earlier in the year rather than later on. At, at the end. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the year. And the nice thing is she mentioned that she was thankful to us for saying we wish someone from Laval. Because we always said, you know, that no one's come from Laval. We love to have someone from Laval. Yeah. And then it happened. And I remember that episode where we're saying, Oscar, do we have power? Are we influencing things? And we kind of joked about it. Yeah. But she's saying she was a little bit of inspired. Which is great. By what we, we said. we actually have no power. We have no power. Yeah. But it's nice that maybe someone thought, you know what? I'm going to run for this. Even if it plants a little bit of a seed. I, I wish I asked her a question. What is her plan next year? Yeah. That'd be great. Quick, Just great to follow now. up on that. So like, we'll follow up on her with her and see what her plans are for next year. Yeah. Great idea. All right, next up, we'll move to our guest from the year. We'll start off with episode 14. For those of you that don't remember, this was Support Your Specialty with Dr. Miller Smith. Let's listen to what he had to say. Hey, Oscar. Hey, Wendell. As you can see, I changed up a little bit to bring Oscar out of the shadows. It is Miller Smith from episode 14. I'd like to give you one little tidbit from our episode, or at least you requested one, but I'd prefer to give you three. Uh, number one, I have been listening to the podcast for the past two years. You've been doing an amazing job. I used to have to listen to it at one and a half times speed because it sounded a little bit sluggish at times, just a little bit hard to get kind of get into the groove. But I do have to say I've had to slow it down to one and a quarter just because both of you are increasing your banter, increasing the fluidity, and it's just sounding awesome. Number two. I think that I would encourage any of your future guests to continue to name drop just because not only does it cause a lot more conversation, it may tick off some people like Michelle, but we know how to handle that. But I think it really gets everybody talking about the Teeth and Titanium podcast, which ultimately is doing great things. The last is specifically with my episode of Getting Involved. I think we really need to continue to push people whether it's locally, provincially, nationally, whether you're a solo practitioner or in an academic practice to get involved at the hospital level, at the association level, and really push our specialty. I can't stress it enough that without others helping us move forward, we're just going to unfortunately stay stagnant. So all those young listeners, please get involved. Please help us out. I do have a question as to why you've started censoring some portions of the program. I do hear the occasional bleep. Maybe you can answer that with your next episode. Lastly, I know that you made a strong reference to having ski valets place on your ski boots. Wendell, 
if it takes me placing your ski boots on you to come up to a CAOMS Ski and Learn, then I will absolutely move forward and offer to put your ski boots on for you. Same goes for you, Oscar. And what I would like to say is that not all those ski resorts are creme de la creme like Deer Valley. So I would ask for Brian Farrell to offer the same service to you for the next ACOMS or FACES meeting where there is not a ski valet boot uh, fitting service. Anyways, hope all is well. Congratulations once again on making it two years. I've really enjoyed both listening to your episodes and being a part of them. So here's to another two years. Great job, guys. Cheers. All right, that was, that was awesome for Miller. <laughs> he was probably our, our funniest. Well, I was going to say, give a shout out to his episode because yeah. you remember his episode. We were cracking up like, a lot. The whole time I was laughing during his episode like, yeah. when we were doing it, and this just reminds me of how good he is a guest. Yeah, and his dry humor. Like, he's hilarious, yeah. and we laughed so much during that episode. I mean, let's break down what he said. First of all, he wants to bring Oscar to the shadows. He purposely mentioned your name first. Yeah. I don't know if that's a shot at me, that's a shot at you. I don't know who he's making fun of there. I don't know if it was a shot or I don't really know, but either way, I even found that funny. <laughs> you know what? Something different. Yeah. I also like how he finally admitted to reducing the speed from 1.5 to 1.25. That's, yeah. a, that's a big that's a deal. That's a significant drop. Huge drop because what it means is he said he thinks we're getting better over time. He yeah. says our banter is improving, our chemistry is improving. Yeah. He finds that the episodes are getting better, so he wants to slow he, it down, which is a really good sign. Yeah. You okay. don't want people increasing the speed. No, because then you're like, okay, they're not even listening to it. They just want to get through it. You don't it. want people putting it on mute. Exactly. <laughs> they're just getting through it. Yeah. And it made me think of this, like, we take four or six years to hone our craft at oral surgery, yeah. which is going to be, you know, our life's work. This is not our life's work. Mm -hmm. We're doing this once a month. It's only been two years. Maybe in Next the similar- Next year he's at one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's gonna slow down to 0.75. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, I'm just thinking maybe over time we'll get better. Yeah. Maybe, you know, just like anything, we'll improve and we'll get better over time. And we're only two years into maybe and, a four or six year program. people like him giving us feedback, it also helps us improve. So I think definitely, that's great. Definitely, and he's always really active. I absolutely love when he shots fired against Michelle. I like oh, him for hashtag Moore's <laughs> game. He brings it up. <laughs> Ballsy for him yeah, to bring yeah, it he up. He was dead and he brought it back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally calmed down. Yeah. Everyone was okay. Michelle was enjoying his yeah, life. He wasn't saying anything. Yeah, he was happy in Laval, you know, living his best life. And yeah. then boom, he brings it back from the dead. <laughs> So that was awesome. I did like how he said, you know, he encourages getting involved. We've always He's said, so true about that. Huge shout out to the people that are involved. It's a volunteer. It's volunteering. Like yeah. it's their time. Yeah. And now we know how value, how valuable our time is, and they're giving it up for the cause. Yeah, it's like we're all lucky as a specialty because we have a pretty awesome specialty, and we owe it to people like him who are investing their time to keep growing the specialty. Exactly. So, and and he's one of the big ones. Like. He takes it seriously. He yeah. really spends time he's trying not to just saying it. No, he's not just yeah. saying it. Yeah. He's really trying to advance the specialty. He mentioned censoring. Well, the truth of the matter is, you know, I remember Tom Brady did an interview once and he said when he talks to the media, 90% of what he says is like a lie or just, you know, media speak to just, you know, say the politically correct thing. We're obviously not at 90%, but I mean, you know, 10% of the time, maybe we need to censor ourselves yeah. and that's fine. And it'd be impossible to not, as we talk longer, to have conversations that we're going to have to censor some things. Exactly. And I think beep. over... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Editor, just insert like a beep. And then, and then he'll always wonder what we said about yeah. him. And finally, I was shocked when he talked about the ski boots. That was so good. That was gold. Because I thought for sure he was going to rip on me. Miller, Miller's a pr proud guy. Yeah. So... That's how much he cares about 
getting people out to these conferences. I was shocked. And that should show everyone how important these things are. Like everyone knows Miller. I'm sure 90% of people listening know Miller. And just picture in your mind, Miller is offering to, to put our ski boots on for yeah. us. Like that blew my mind. You're like, I'm signing up for the next three. <laughs> and it sounds like a good picture. Yeah. I feel like we need to do it and make sure we get evidence. And then we put it in our walls. <laughs> <laughs> and just to clarify, Miller, there is a 0% chance Brian Farrell would ever do it. <laughs> like I can tell you that right now. Brian said, I don't care if you ever come back to another conference. <laughs> yeah. He's like, don't show up. I ain't putting on your ski boots. Yeah. And he would make fun of me for even using that service in the first place. <laughs> so thanks Miller for sending that in. Really great. And actually, you know, brought back really fond memories of his episode. Next up, we have Dr. Nicholas McCool from episode 16, which was entitled Academics with Dr. Nicholas McCool. Hey, Teeth and Titanium, it's Nicholas McCool from episode 16. I guess if you could take one thing away from my episode, it would be that my car is vastly superior to Wendell's car. <laughs> Joking aside, uh, I would say, you know, I hope that my interview brought out the importance of academics, the absolute uh, privilege we have as surgical educators on the formation of our young surgeons' lives and their training, and also the immense responsibility it is for surgical residents trying to learn and trying to do their best, and at the same time, trying to be the best caregivers they can to all of our patients. So thank you very much uh, for allowing me to be part of your podcast again. Sincerely appreciate what you guys are doing. I think you're doing a fantastic job for all of our uh, young trainees and uh, keep up the great work, uh, Oscar and Wendell. Take care. All right. Great to hear from Nick. And uh, once again, I mean, <laughs> Miller brought up Moore's Gate. You know, Nick's bringing up hashtag Audi Gate. <laughs> yeah, like everyone's picking on points here. Yeah, everyone wants to yeah, resurrect yeah, all the yeah, controversies. The yeah, <laughs> which is actually kind of funny to remember. But yeah. it is what else is funny is he's joking about his car being nice enough, which it obviously is. You know, he has he's the Audi e tron. Yeah. You know, he used to, you know, used to have the Acura. I have the Acura, you know, model after him, and he instantly wanted to upgrade his car. And right now, it, it's looking like a really smart decision. It looks, the price of gas. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> With the electric car, but it actually brings up, you know, Audi Gate. Oscar, you have an Audi. Yeah. We actually took it today because we're, we're filming this in person. Mm -hmm. And how's your how's your Audi doing? How's your, how's your windshield, your Audi doing? <laughs> so the Audi's doing great. My windshield's not doing great. <laughs> a little bit of a crack. A in little there. bit of a crack. It started as a little bit of a crack and now it's my entire windshield. <laughs> and as my wife just took it on a four hour drive to go home, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, leave the good car, take that one. Exactly. <laughs> <My> crack windshield. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I guess you and Nick living your best life in the Audis, you know, I'm just slumming it in my Acura. Yeah, I have a feeling like next year you're going to be like, hey, I bought, an, I bought an Audi. The other thing he mentioned was the impact of surgical ed educators and how privileged it is to be an educator. You know, I will say, you'll remember that episode was a really emotional episode yeah. for me. It meant a lot to me. It was nice to be part of from an outsider because you could see the bomb that you had with him mm -hmm. and that really he was your mentor for, for the six years over there. Yeah. So it was and nice to be part of. It's rare that you can look at someone and say they legitimately changed the entire course of your life. Yeah. Like I never would have gone to McGill. I never would have considered fellowship. I probably, who knows if I would have considered academia, yeah. prioritized education. Like, like I like teaching, but to have a role model that's selfless, that's sacrificing time and money just to make you better. And I think what, I, what we should all learn there is to, especially the residents, not the staff who are already working is, yeah, it's a privilege to be an educator, but it's a privilege to be a resident, mm -hmm. right? These it's people a great time. take time out of their lives to teach you, to better you. Like you said, they're volunteering. They can make more in mm -hmm. private practice. So 
I don't think you should take being a resident for granted. Yes, you work long hours, but it is a privilege to be a resident. Yeah, and I think when you're on call with the staff or when you're working with the staff in the OR, learn just, from them. Just learn from them and be happy that you know they're taking the time literally to teach you. It has, you know, there's a benefit and there's an enjoyment yeah. from it, but in reality, you're slowing down the case. You're take, not providing them the benefit. Yeah, let's be clear. Here. Time away from your family. Yeah. You know, it costs a lot, but you do it to give back and educate. And as you said, it, you know, he made a huge, huge impact on my life. Amongst other people, obviously, yeah. McGill, but he was a huge impact on my life. And I think I think it really inspired me and I owe him a lot. That's like I said, it was a nice episode. Usually I feel like we're on the same page with the guests. This one, I felt like I was an observer to this ep- to interview and I thought it was great. It was really nice to see. Well, speaking of emotional connections, that leads us to our next guest that we had, who was uh, Marco Caminiti. This was episode 18, Surgical Orthodontics with Dr. Marco Caminiti. Thank you, Oscar and Wendell, for the opportunity to chat with you. It's a pleasure to provide a summary of the points I hope that the listener was able to pick up during our podcast. I can't speak as fast as Oscar, so I'll share a couple of points. The first was how blessed I am to be where I am. It's due to the strength and amazing abilities of my fellow staff, residents, and those practicing with and near me. We have a strong and busy program, and it's thanks to so many. Second point is that we as oromaxillofacial surgeons are very lucky. I hope that those listening can recognize that OMFS is positioned, in my opinion, to be probably the greatest healthcare specialty. Indeed, it's a little secret that we need to keep going. The breadth, the depth, the skill, job satisfaction, patient care satisfaction, intellectual fulfillment is second to none. And I feel sometimes I must remind my colleagues of how good we have it. Thirdly, how to develop a surgical orthodontic practice. While this only can be reached by a steadfast and relentless hospital presence, which is not for everyone, and it is our specialty's current biggest challenge. A surge ortho practice requires the recruitment of an orthodontic referral base. They will only listen to you if you know how to speak their language and by providing them with ideal occlusal results. As I tell all residents, the results are all about the occlusion and also a little bit of where you put the central incisors. Lastly, the importance of research or some form of academic attachment. The spectrum of opportunities is large, and it can be expressed as simple as reading, listening, or expanding your skills. You can further move on to writing and research or finding some collaboration with an academic. There are opportunities in teaching and demonstrating. All these drag us out of the tradesperson image dentistry sometimes faces and it brings us into the realm of surgical scientists and we should always strive to do better one final point and i hope all those coming to visit me in toronto arrive in the summer so we can all go for a lovely sunset sale best regards to all that was great to hear from marco a lot, a lot of stuff to jump in there yeah first of all was that the godfather talking <laughs> yeah that was uh, that was marco caminiti from his bunker yeah uh, <laughs> and so kind of like you're talking about nick dr caminiti to me was the biggest influence in, in the program, he was the best program. Now, obviously, everyone's going to be biased, but to me, he was the best program director anyone could ever ask for. Mm-hmm. He really changed and reshaped our program that, that needed that leadership that he provided. And it was the best experience I could have ever asked for. Yeah, you benefited from oh, it hugely. Unbelievable. He's just an amazing overall surgeon, instructor, teacher, and just person himself. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that was great. And you can tell from his message, he, he tries to stay humble. He's giving thanks to yeah. his residents, to, to his the staff. Because you can't run a program on your own either. Can't. So dependent on others. And I will say, since starting at UFT, and, and you know, obviously I have the hospital side, so I have many people to thank for that. 
And then I have the faculty side and Serge Ortho side, which really he's the head of. Yeah. And I will say from day one, he's always, you know, recognize the sacrifice you're making by yeah. giving up time to go there. Like yeah. he appreciates that. So he's helped you. He's been huge. So if yeah. you live up to your end of the bargain and you come to clinics and you, if you're you reliable, you, yeah, you come to the exam, you do the interviews. Like yeah. if, you, if you're reliable, you show up, you give your up your time, yeah. you know, survival. And he, he really treats you well and is really appreciative. And I've noticed that since day one. No, he's, he's a person who keeps his word. So if you hold up your end of the bargain, he's going to help you out for sure. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how we're very lucky in our specialty. Oh. A lot of people have been mentioning, you know, how lucky we are, we are in oral yeah. surgery. Even Nick was mentioning that. And we both obviously agree. We think it's a great specialty. And it's funny how you mentioned that sometimes some people need to be reminded that, mm-hmm. listen, look at the big picture. We, we're all very fortunate. We have, we have a great life and a we great profession. We can't complain. Can't complain. Great. Definitely. Plus, we're going on his boat. That's what I Well, heard. no, this That's is the issue I have. He said, no, no, this is no, this is the issue I have. This is the this is the one issue I had with his message was that he says, for all the people that want to come visit Toronto, I hope you come in the summer so we can go for Wait. a sunset sail. But we live in Toronto. No, no, no. We've never live, been on this boat. You live in Etobicoke. Or, Where's this boat? It's so I'm I'm saying, and I live in North York right now, so I'm visiting Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> We're outside of Toronto, exactly. <laughs> Semantics yeah. here. I'm, I'm thinking, have you been on this boat? As a resident, yes. Ah, oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I'm going to this boat. I'm going to come for this sunset yeah. sale. It sounds- it's definitely worth it. Exactly. So that's why. If you live in Togo, you're visiting Toronto. Yeah, I'm going to tell them that. Yeah. Yeah. Oscar and I come to visit. Maybe we'll do an episode. We should have done our episode live from the that's boat. That's what we should do. That's what we should have done. We should have yeah. done on the boat. And one thing I thought he mentioned that is something that I've been learning through the surge ortho practice is it's incredibly important to know the orthodontic side as well as the orthodontist do. If you're going to do surge ortho, you, you need to speak their language. And he stresses the occlusal result, which is so important because Patients want a good occlusion. They also want, you know, great aesthetics, great yeah. profile, no complications, no risk of recovery, all that mm-hmm. stuff. But the orthodontist, what they're seeing, what they want they is- They care about what they- They want a perfect occlusion. Yeah. And you have to deliver that. And I think that's a really great point he made. And then obviously, as he finished up, the importance of research and teaching. And I agree with him. It gets you out of the office. It, it, it kind of expands your mind. You're lucky because you get out of the office anyways to go to the OR. Yeah. And you assist surgeons and also you have residents that come there too. So you are getting a little bit of exposure there, but I think the more exposure, the better. I would say I am lucky. That is the one. Well, no, there's a ton of great things from my private practice that I, that I have that I'm, that I'm thankful for. But yeah, being able to go to the OR once a week because it's such a group practice, that does a lot. We're not going to the OR to just do teeth. We're going to the OR to do orthognathic, to do path, to do a lot of stuff, to do trauma. So I get to experience that. But yeah, if you don't, if you're just in a private practice that you don't have that, I think you go a little surgery. Yeah, so you need something to get away from just the monotony of just clinical OMS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. So I think I think we're both fortunate that way. So thanks to Marco for reaching out. It's always great uh, to hang out with him each week and chat with him. So and he's another loyal listener. I mean, yes. all these guests are loyal listeners, but he... he, he I really, play their show too. Yeah, he really loves it and he always, he always makes fun of us. So that's always fun. Now, last of Oscar, we were supposed to have Stanley Liu, but I'm convinced that Stan might have OSA. <laughs> because we brought him on, we talked about OSA, and you remember how it took like 10, 15 emails to book this guy and yeah. find a time that worked and reschedule and all that stuff. Anyway, he is a super busy, super talented guy, so. Yeah. Yeah. I have probably sent him at least 20 emails requesting. And I'm with the sidelines just looking at your emails and just laughing. You're watching the emails, you're yeah. laughing, and he's saying, uh, oh, thanks, I forgot, I'll send it. I mean, daytime somnolence, uh, forgetfulness, lack of sleep. He's checking all the boxes. Inability to concentrate. I mean, he's, I think he has always like because he didn't send us anything in. So unfortunately, we didn't get anything from Stan. But luckily, his episode just happened yeah. last month. So you can just go and back and listen. And we actually had a lot of personal feedback about his episode. A lot of good feedback about his episode. Like residents that were close to our proximity, sexy and saying that, that episode was amazing. Yeah. So, so shout out to Stan. Yeah. So people seem to like his episode. I wish he had sent something in. But if you want to learn more about OSA with him, just go back one episode, episode 20. 
It was OSA with Dr. Stanley Liu, and you can learn all about it there. All right, so that concludes our anniversary segment. Looking back, as you said, really, really enjoyed the guests we had. And what's nice is we have so many people that we still want to talk to and still want to have on. So it's almost like there's not enough episodes for the amount of people because then you don't want to be like, oh, I'll get to you in so long. Mm-hmm. But that's just the way we're structured right now. But I'm not going to lie. I kind of like it. I like how people need to wait. People, well, not only people need to wait, but it's something to look forward to. Yeah. Like you and I already have five or six people who are like, man, I can't, we know it's going to be amazing. Yeah. We just got to space it out. Yeah, we got to wait. Get there. And we have to do, you know, keep in mind, we have to think about different programs, different connections, different topics. Different. That's what I was saying. Different topics. You can't bring, because there may be five people that you want to talk about, but they're all mm-hmm. similar topics. So mm-hmm. you know what? You got to space that out. Yeah, definitely. So really, really look forward to future guests. And if you want to be a guest on the show or you think you know someone that would be a great guest, please reach out to us. Teeth and Titanium OMFS at gmail.com. I love that people reach out and they use the email and that's we get feedback all the time. And, that's, that's one thing that's been really, really great. That being said, let's move on to our next segment, which is Journal Club. All right, so speaking of feedback and people reaching out, this is one of the coolest things that's happened so far. I could not agree more. And it took two years, and I purposely never mentioned this. Like, I don't know about you, but I actually thought about this as a possibility. Mm-hmm. We do a Journal Club almost every single episode. Mm-hmm. We mentioned authors, we mentioned studies, and I've always thought, should we reach out to the authors and see, do they listen? What do they think? Do they respond? But I was like, you know what? You know what? Yeah. Things need to happen organically. Probably won't happen, maybe it'll happen. Well, it happened. We had one of the authors of a journal club segment reach out to us, and it was from episode six. So if you want to listen- To tell know what we talked about. Exactly. Go back to episode six and go to the journal club segment. The article was by Rasmussen and Biazzi, and it was a decision tree for orthodontic and surgical management of maxillary transverse dimension in orthognathic surgery. So I went back and listened and we both really liked this article. We liked the management of, you know, dental crowding, dental expansion, skeletal crowding, mm-hmm. skeletal expansion. The one thing that both of us didn't really agree with or get was about arch expansion in this, you know, middle bracket of three to seven millimeters mm-hmm. of discrepancy. And, you know, you're just going to flare at the buckle tipping. That's a big no-no. And that's something we debated. And this was a while ago. Well, amazingly, Rasmussen, the first author of the article. Gave us a clarification. Gave us a clarification. So he's the assistant professor of dentistry at the Mayo Clinic. He's a program director of orthodontics and dentofacial orthopedics. So... He reached out to us and sent us an email. So, Oscar, why don't you read what he sent us? So, he wrote, Hi, Dr. Mesprinis and Dr. Dalmeo. I really enjoyed listening to you guys look at our transverse decision tree in episode six. Thank you so much for discussing it. Already like the email. Yeah, already like the email. <laughs> great, great email. Yeah. I could have maybe used a better term than bracket or quotation arch expansion for the APDs between three to seven millimeters. I really, I really agree with you guys that the excessive buckle tipping is a big no-no. What I was trying to describe was a combination of orthodontic options available, each with a limit. So nothing gets too far into the camouflage zone. This is the first full paragraph on page uh, 1237. Point one, one millimeter of incisor proclination equals plus two millimeters APD. Point two, 0.5 millimeters of molar distalization on each side equals plus one millimeter APD. Point three, two degrees of buckle tipping equals plus one millimeter of APD, and point four, IPR equals plus two millimeters of APD. As the optimal inclination of of the upper teeth is negative nine degrees to negative seven degrees, 
I'm in the opinion that the two degree compromise is hopefully still in the stable range. Hopefully with the APD in that moderate range, the orthodontist and surgeon would be able to pick and choose from that menu to resolve it in a way that doesn't compromise outcomes. Again, thanks so much for taking the time to read the paper. It was a huge treat for me, Chad. I love this email. I would say this was a huge treat for us. Huge treat because he didn't get his ego involved. He didn't nope. get all defensive. No. Nope. He listened to what we said. He went back, looked at his article and reflected and said, listen. This is what I meant. This is what I meant. And maybe I could have used a better term, but this is what I was going for. And here, here's what I'm talking about. And I loved his points because we, now we look at this and we would agree. It makes sense. It makes total sense. Yep. I love the menu of options he said. Yep. These are the ones we think about. I love how we put limits on each one and explain how much expansion that gives you. And this is like a cookbook for orthodontic residents and oral surgery residents as to what you can do expansion-wise exactly. in a stable way to hopefully prevent relapse and all the different things that you have. And like, I feel this is how creative conversations should go, right? Mm -hmm. Like like you said, he wasn't rude about it. He wasn't pissed that we, we said something about the article. He, he came back to us super nicely, explained it to us so we understood. We now both understand it. We're like, oh, actually, that makes a ton of sense. So we're super thankful for that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed him reaching out. Thanks a lot, Chad. We still think it was a great article. And now with the clarification, it's even better. better. It's even better. And I feel like, especially for people that are, you know, on the borderline with certain cases or wondering what the orthodontist is thinking, you know, Marco just mentioned, you need to know what the orthodontist is thinking. Yep. This is what they're thinking. These are the things that they can do. This is how they can help you. And this is what's kind of in a normal range of what's achievable for them and what's not achievable when it comes to arch expansion. Exactly. So great, great email, really appreciate it. And who knows, we'll see if other people now have, now want to reach out and talk about their articles. Their articles, yeah, because we mentioned a lot of articles yeah. in the history of the show. So thanks again, Chad. And uh, let's move on to our next article. Let's well, see if, let's see if this guy wants to. I was going to say, Oscar, well, we, we all know this guy is gonna, doesn't need to reach out. He's going to he, comment for sure. Because he's already here, but this is quite predictable. Our next article is Sites of Autogenous Bone Harvesting During Orthopedic Surgery by none other than Wendell Mascarenas. Peter Dennis, Julian Rosansky, Peter Franco, and Brian Farrell. This was published in Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery Cases. Obviously, with all the articles, we link to them in the show notes. So you can take a look there. Listen, Oscar, we don't need to go in massive detail about this, but what I will say is this was a huge project for me in the sense that these are things that I learned in fellowship, mm -hmm. like from scratch. Like I didn't know you could do this. I didn't know there were so many options to harvesting autogenous bone in the mandible and maxilla and how you can use it for grafting, just in like a routine orthodontic case. These, is like, these are like, I know it's an article and it's journal club, but it's almost also like clinical pearls here where mm -hmm. you learn so much you're like, oh, okay, I didn't realize you could do that. So, well, let's not take it, let's not get too far advanced. Exactly. Yeah. And the nice thing is because it's a case article, it's a lot of just techniques. So you don't have to waste time on a lot of other aspects, you know, talking about, you know, Microsoft Statistics 2.2 software yeah, was yeah, used yeah. and all that different type of stuff. We don't talk to Mo. Retrospect. Yeah, we don't talk to Mo about it. It's, hey, there's a bunch of places you can harvest bone from. Here, here they are. Here they are. And here's how you do it. Yeah. So what I liked is I got to say, not only these are the places are, we actually talked about our surgical technique mm -hmm. and the actual instruments we use mm -hmm. to harvest it and what we would use it for. So we go into things like at the proximal segment of the mandible during a BSSO setback, you know, the lateral body or the external oblique ridge. I think people would remember the lateral body. A lot of people don't do the external oblique ridge no. and people have not seen that. No. There's a synthesis of a mandible during genial surgery, whether it's, you know, a vertical reduction whether it's a genoglossus advancement, there's the inferior medial border of the proximal segment during an IVRO. Now, obviously IVRO, not a super common yeah. procedure, but it's but worth if you're, it, doing if you're doing it, just think about it. You can yeah. do that there. Process. Coronary process. 
huge during an IVRO. And that's a pretty, it's a thin piece of bone, but, but it's, it's, pre- it's yes. usually pretty sizable. There's the inferior border of a mandible during correction of asymmetry. Once again, it's rare that you have to do this, but if you're doing it, the message here in the article is don't use a pineapple burr and just grind everything yeah. away. Use a <laughs> saw. Yeah. yeah. Do the resection. Use it as a graft. This is perfect at Todd's bone. Think about all our implant cases, all our bone like, I wish had that extra little bone. Yeah, we yeah. had a bone. I wish I had a Todd's yeah. bone, the best bone. Then moving up to the maxilla, we have the nasal septal foot plate during a Lafort one. We have the posterior lateral wall during a Lafort one. Uh, we have the zygomatical maxillary buttress and anteriform rims. So just a ton of places that you can harvest bone. What I want to know is this was kind of a translation of what I learned in fellowship from, you know, Peter Franco, Brian Farrell, Jim Howley, you know, my staff and things that we would do on every case. It just became routine. Yeah. So did you graft all your cases? So we wouldn't graft all the cases, but you would do it this way every single time. In case you needed to graft. Because every segmental we would graft. Yeah. Every big down graft case we graft. And pretty much five millimeters or greater was our cutoff for, yeah. uh, for a gap. But if but the trick is you don't only do it on your grafting cases. You so do it every time. Second nature. Second nature. It's quick. It helps in a lot of other ways that you'll see when you're reading it. But what I want to know from you, Oscar, is this was me taking pearls I learned during my fellowship from these guys and putting it on paper and sharing it with the world. You, having read it, what did you think? What were things maybe you already knew and maybe you were doing already? And other things were like, whoa, I never thought about that. Like, so, what what did you think of the articles? So before. I go to that question because you just threw something on me that I didn't know is that you did this every case. Did you do all of these things in every case or did you choose one in every case? We would do every single one that's so relevant in every case. you're trimming the lateral body and the external oblique ridge on every case. On every setback. Okay. So on you, every, every setback, setback doing lateral that. body, external oblique ridge, if we move down. And, um, and then every IVRO, you're taking off the coronoid. And yep. And, and you're doing the medial. medial part. Yep. Every single and IVRO. And maxilla, every, like you're taking the nasal septal foot plate during the Lafour, you're taking. Yep. Wow. Okay. So that, that I didn't know. And I what's thought- nice is for the residents that are listening, especially when the U of T, if they read the article and some of them have already been doing jaw surgery with me, some of them are starting to do jaw surgery with me. You know, for example, tomorrow we have three Laforts. I'm going to do all these things. It's all routine. Yeah. It's all part of the process. It's all just built into how I do it now and it just becomes routine. I tell them, you know, for example, we're doing a one piece Lafort tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be any grafting required. It's yeah. not a big down graft. But it's not changing it's not your a segmental. surgical technique. No, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to harvest the same bone and then we're not going to use the bone. Yeah. But you get better at the technique, you get more comfortable, and you do it every single time it becomes routine. So you don't lose track of it when the time that you do need it. No, mm-hmm. so I think that's great. Things that I learned, yeah, I guess it's a little bit different because you learned this during fellowship. A lot of these things we would not do routinely, mm-hmm. but we would do it if we needed to. Like if we knew we were going to do a segment, the latter we would always make sure to not use a pineapple burr, right? Mm-hmm. We're using that. And that's the most common for us, I would say, of all the sites that you're talking about. The biggest one for us was that lateral border mm-hmm. for any setback that we were doing. Other than that, didn't really do many IVROs, so we weren't using that at all. I think that's cool that you could use that segment. Mm-hmm. Genios almost never really harvested any bone from that. And I would say the 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 posterior lateral walls of the maxilla that we did when, especially if you're doing like a down fraction, you get that little strip that you're taking out anyway. Mm-hmm. We were using that. I would say I think this is really educational to a resident because mm-hmm. you have the pictures to show it, and yeah. I think that makes a huge difference. Because even if you're reading the paragraph, you're like, okay, sure, it's good. But when you show the pictures, especially that one with the lateral body where mm-hmm. it's being picked up, like that's a perfect example of what you're doing. I think for the residents that are starting out or, or newer staff that are looking to improve their technique or, or just, you know, want to harvest more bone. I personally think anyone that does orthodontic surgery will learn at least one tip from 100%. this article. Yep. The biggest thing for me, I find, because I've seen obviously tons of people operate, is the maxillary harvest sites. Yeah. I feel like, as you said, people are good with the lateral yeah. border of the mandible. But- 
But everyone knows people down fracture, they whip up the pineapple and they start flattening that maxilla, make it nice like a little skating rink. Yep. But they've lost all of that bone and there's so much great bone there. So I feel like if you were to pick up one thing from this as an experienced app, it's gonna be the harvest sites of the maxilla. That, that are available to you, yeah. And what's nice is we use one burr for the entire thing, it's the reciprocating saw. Which is great. Entire mandible is done with the saw and entire maxilla is done with the saw. So exactly. yeah. Yeah, because you can tell like, and they just run smooth. They're, they're really smooth, yeah. yeah. But we have that cyanide. I know, and we have it at Humber too. Oh yeah, they're really yeah. nice. It's a, it's a difference. It's, it's like, huge. You, I should say you can't screw it up, but yeah. it, it's really hard to it's, screw it's it. nice. It's yeah. really, really smooth. Yeah, definitely. So this is the article that I wanted to bring up, obviously, and I have to thank the other authors for all their incredible hard work that they've done this. This wouldn't have been possible without them. Mm -hmm. And also, obviously, to my fellowship staff, because as I said, this was stuff that they just taught me, and it was funny. It's not a big deal to them, but they knew it was a big deal to us. Like, as a new fellow and you're watching the first time, they're like, yeah, we know you've never done this before, but watch. You're going to do this 300 times in one year and it's just going to become routine for you. You're like, and it's going to be, and they're like, it's going to be worth it. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. So really, really enjoyed that. Highly recommend people read that article. And I would love people to reach out to me if they either have extra sites of bone that they use or if they learn something from it. I really think that people are going to like this article. Anyway, that's enough of a shameless plug about my article that I published. Let's get up to our next article which actually kind of doubles up as something you wanted to talk about in Resident Reminder. So tell us, Oscar, what's our next topic? So our next topic, well, the next article is American Association of Oral Maxillofacial Surgeons position paper on medicated-related osteonecrosis of the jaw, a 2022 update. And, and so I would say it's not necessarily a topic that anyone wants to talk about mm -hmm. because we all hate Emronch. And like <laughs> when you see it in your schedule and like, a dentist took out a tooth and then you're dealing with it, or especially with you guys, like you being in the academic program, you're probably seeing a lot more dentists dumping it into the program. But it is something we do have to talk about because mm -hmm. we're the experts. We're the experts, and eventually, it's one of the a case is going to land in your lap, and you're going to have to treat it, whether it's your own case or whether it's somebody else that dumped it on you or didn't know how to manage it. And maybe it's not their fault that you're dealing with it. So I do think it is good that they have a new release because it's been a while since they had a last position paper on it was 2014 yeah yeah so they did one i think it was 2007 2009 and then 2014 that's that's a while since we've really talked about this topic and we're also going to use it not just as the position paper but kind of leads to a resident reminder that we'll talk about it later and what's nice about these position papers for, for people that haven't read them before is they're great they take all the evidence everything you need to know about one topic, topic. And they don't just say, oh, more studies are needed, blah, blah, blah. You know, they, and they may say that a little a bit, little bit. Is, yeah. but they give you an opinion. They give you an opinion and they give you guidelines to follow. As in, this is the most current, up-to-date things that we can use right now. Like, you could read this position paper knowing nothing about Emeronj and know everything you need to know about Emeronj, in my opinion. I, I was going to say, once we get to the resident reminder, I'm going to be like, read this paper. Like, yeah. at the end, I'm going to say, read this paper. Every resident and every should. clinician that deals with Emeronj, you should read this paper. because Every oral surgeon. You'll Should be we? able to communicate with your patients better. You'll know what to say, you know, what the risks are, all that different stuff. Anyway, Realistically, let's... I was learning things I was reading. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay, wow, like, that's great. So let's jump into it. You know, pre-screening, we have a ton of oral surgeons here. Yeah. Ruggiero, Dodson, Eglu, Carlson, Ward, Catamani. These are big that's names. A, that's a stacked lineup. It's a stacked lineup. No offense to your article, but that's a stacked lineup. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stacked lineup. You know, huge publishers, all from different places across the U.S., all in oral surgery. So huge, huge lineup. And really, 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 you know, like the fact that they took the time to do it because it took a long time yeah. to do this position paper. So basically when we get into it, you know, strategies for management of patients at risk for or with Emeronj, they were set forth in the original position paper, as you said, in 2007, 2009, and then 2014. They took a working group comprised of three members of the Amos Committee mm -hmm. on oral head and neck oncologic reconstructive surgery. And then three authors from the 2014 paper convened remotely in the fall of 2020 
to appraise the current literature and revise the guidelines as indicated to reflect current knowledge in this field. Yeah. So the purpose of this paper was to provide up-to-date information regarding risk estimates for developing MRONG, comparisons of the risks and benefits of medications related to osteonecrosis of the jaw in order to facilitate medical decision-making mm -hmm. for the treating physician, dentist, dental specialist, and patient with the establishment of algorithms. Because we have to realize it's not just us dealing with this too, right? You have to communicate with the physician mm -hmm. who's prescribing this medication to them. And sometimes the patients have to make a decision on yeah. what to do. Yep. And then thirdly, guidance to clinicians regarding the differential diagnosis of MRONG and then MRONG prevention uh, measures and management strategies. So as we said, A to Z, it's like everything you need to know about this topic. So bisphosphonates, you know, they're anti-resorptive medications. They bind to bone. Whereas when we talk about denosumab, for example, or the rank L inhibitors, mm -hmm. they don't bind to bone. Their effects on bone remodeling are mostly diminished within six months of treatments. And that's why we talk about the half-life of bisphosphonates is like yeah. 12 years. Yeah. Once they've taken it, the risk is there. Whereas denosumab, for example, after six months, yeah. you know, if you time it with their injection or their medication, sometimes you can uh, get into a good window there. And, and it goes into that in that article too, but it also shows you, and this is actually, I just had this, uh, I had a physician call me two weeks ago about this specific topic and it comes up in the article is that yeah the difference with bisphosphonate and denosumab is if you take a patient off denosumab for too long of a time they get that rebound effect where they're actually more at risk for fractures and mm -hmm. so the physician was quite concerned because patient had already had a vertebral fracture and she's like okay i can delay but i don't really want to delay this too much because she was saying all the new studies are saying are showing that rebound effect mm -hmm. and it talks about it in there yeah and one thing huge thing that we're going into that i learned is that I knew denosumab was a risk factor of bisphosphonates. I didn't realize, as you said, that denosumab is a higher risk factor yeah. for patients with osteoporosis. It's quite, it's like 10 times the risk. Yeah. It's yeah. actually much more significant. So without jumping ahead, let's go into the definition. So as you said, part of our resident reminder, we want to talk about the definition of MRONG and the staging of MRONG. And that, that's pretty much it. So it's going to be a combination where if you're reading this article, you are doing the resident reminder. And if you're listening to this part, you're doing the resident reminder. And I, I would say for the residents, this is a part they have to focus on right here. Mm -hmm. Like, what is the definition of it? So, Oscar, get into it. What is the case definition for MRONG? What does it include? So, the case definition, I would start, even though it's listed as one, two, three, mm -hmm. I would start it as, the case definition is, ex I would put two as number one, actually. Okay. And I would say exposed bone or bone that can be probed through an intraoral or extraoral fistula in the maxillofacial region that has persisted for more than eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Point two also has to be part of it, which is, Current or previous treatment with an anti-resorptive therapy alone or in combination with immunomodulator or anti-angiogenic medications. And then three, no history of radiation therapy of the jaws or metastatic disease to the jaws. So in the course of residency, how many times do you think you were asked for the definition of MRONG? So I had four, I had two exam prep exams every year. Mm -hmm. I was there for four years. I was asked at least seven times. Seven out of eight times. I would say. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like it, it's going to be asked. It's always going to be asked. And as you said, you got to have exposed bone. It's got to be more than eight weeks. You always, yeah, always want to exactly. know the eight weeks like, thing. It's not exposed. It can't be like a day after surgery. Yeah, yeah. and you always have to say uh, the yeah. no history of radiation therapy. That's, that's huge because then it's osteoradial necrosis. Yeah. Can't have active uh, metastatic disease. So yeah. For us, it's pretty easy. Exposed bone longer than eight weeks, no history of radiation, and they've been taking an anti-resorbent medication. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you, you use that at the back yeah, of your hand because like, you can tell it's drilled into you now. Everybody has answered that question. Yeah. So then moving on to staging, I'll take that, you know, first you have patients at risk. So there's no apparent necrotic bone, asymptomatic patients. They're just taking the medication. So you want to educate them and, you know, watch thought, out for the signs. I thought that was smart too. Yeah. Right. Like sometimes I guess you don't focus on this patient, but yeah, they are. So they're taking the medication. Right. Definitely. So then you have stage zero, which is the non-exposed bone variant. So this is patients with no clinical evidence of necrotic bone. 
but they do present with non-specific symptoms or clinical and radiographic findings. And so that's go, harder to stage. Yeah. So they go into symptoms, findings, radiographic findings. We won't read it all here, but stage zero is kind of, okay, there's no exposed bone, but something's, something's up. Something's up. Either something's your x-ray or the patient's something, they're feeling something different. And don't ignore that. Well, this is what I was going to say is I would have thought like, okay, but it's kind of like it's a fake stage. Not really. Yeah. But this is something I learned. Progression this from stage zero to stage one has been reported in up to 50%, 50%. of cases. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. That was something Ireland I was shocked yeah, with. So they said that we deem it prudent to consider stage zero disease uh, a potential precursor to hemorrhage. And let's just say, they've convinced me. Uh, you're going to take it more seriously now. Def I'm de yeah. definitely taking it more seriously. So then we move on to stage one, two, and three. So as you said, the residents, they need to know this. Oscar, why don't you take stage one? Yeah, so stage one is just exposing a chronic bone or a fissure that probes to the bone in patients who are asymptomatic. So that's the key there and have no evidence of infection or inflammation. These patients also may present with radiographic findings mentioned in stage zero that are localized to the alveolar bone region. So really stage one is patients got exposed bone, but they're not in pain, they're mm -hmm. not infected, they have no inflammation, that's an easy one. Yeah. Stage two on the other hand is exposed necrotic bone, obviously you always have to have that, or a fish slow that probes to the bone, but now you have evidence of infection or inflammation, and these patients are usually symptomatic. So as soon as they say, you know, there's exposed bone and there's pain or infection, you're like boom, there. stage two. two. Now, when we move on to stage three, now we're thinking there's exposed bone or, or official that probes to bone, evidence of infection, but now you have to have one or more of the following. It has to extend beyond the region of the alveolar bone, so it could go to the inferior border, and ramus in the mandible, mm -hmm. go to the maxillary sinus, it could go to the zygoma. You have a pathological fracture, an extra oral fistula, an oral antral or oral nasal communication, or osteolysis extending to the inferior border of the mandible or sinus floor. So. Stage three is like stage two, but it's spreading. On steroids. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's bad. It's spreading. It's going to the inferior border. You're having fractures. It's going extra oral. It's just getting much, much worse. So you need to know the definition and you need to know the staging because what they're going to ask is they're going to ask for the definition and they're going to ask you, okay, here's the case. What stage would this be? What's your management? And they're going to show you an x-ray and they're going to show you an intraoral photo. Yeah. Every time. Every time. It's going to happen. And usually they're going to have that. You know, that submental fistula. Yeah. You know, that little, that little tiny yeah. draining. Little, it's going to be tiny fistula. Like, plus. for sure. That's, yeah. yeah. I, that's always I can still picture my example. <laughs> then they get into a lot of the physiology. This is very important to realize how this is working. Um, and just, there's multiple different, actually, theories. So they talk about all that, which I thought was good, and I think people should read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just to touch on the big points, you know, there's the bone remodeling inhibition. So anti-resorptive medications, including bisphosphonates and denosumab, they do have direct facts on osteoclast formation, mm -hmm. differentiation, and function. So they always ask that, which cell does it affect affects the osteoclast. Inflammation and infection, it does say, although most studies report tooth extraction as the major inciting event for Emron's development. Now they're not really sure because they're saying, well, whenever you're doing a tooth extraction, they probably had infection and inflammation. Yeah. So maybe that was the problem, yeah. not the actual tooth extraction. Yeah. You know, Causality is a little bit uh, different and difficult to establish there. There is an angiogenesis inhibition. So you know, you're worried about the vascularity in that region. And it's important to note that the incidence, though, of patients that were taking only anti-angiogenics is much lower for hemorrhage Which says something. than those taking the angiogenesis. So it can't just be a pure anti-angiogenesis. Yeah. Maybe it has a synergistic effect, but I don't think it exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was interesting to learn as well. And then kind of common sense, if you have innate or acquired immune dysfunction, that makes things worse. You know, you're at high risk for hemorrhage and you're at higher risk for a higher staging of yep. Emron as well. They went into genetic factors, but it seemed like, you know, they kind of had that generic statement of Emron is multifactorial and no association things, yeah. and many things. Can so that didn't seem to be a big thing to me. Now, let's jump into the risk factors for Emron as far as, you know, medication or, you know, now they start to differentiate between cancer patients. Yes. 
and osteoporosis patients. Yeah, because I do think there is, it is important to differentiate what is your patient taking the medication for? Mm -hmm. It's something you have to consider. And the one that we talked about, Oscar, is when, it, when the next thing they talk about is, you know, in the risk among osteoporosis patients, and they actually do break it down now between bisphosphonates and denosumab, you know, bisphosphonates, they were saying 0.02 to 0.05. That's but right. for denosumab, they were saying 0.3%. I, I, I almost thought it was a typo, to be honest with yeah. you. I was, I was, especially when you go further into the article and you read about the decrease of actually denosumab after six months, mm -hmm. that's where really where I, where I was like, oh, I'm very surprised now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The next thing they talk about is among patients with non-malignant bone disease. So they said additional studies would be needed. So nothing really there that yeah. they could offer, but I'm sure research will improve over time there. Another thing I learned, duration, duration. of medication of therapy is a risk factor. So it says regardless of the indication for therapy, the duration of therapy is a risk factor for developing MRIs. And it shows like a steady increase yeah. over time. One, 1.8, or yeah, 1.8, uh, 1, 1.8. Yeah. So it's getting more and more over time. So that's a, that's a big deal. I, I would have thought the indication was more important than the duration, but duration is almost just as important as the indication. I don't know if I agree with that. Mm -hmm. point. I, I do agree with what it's saying. I still think the indication is worse. You're right, because the jump, I guess, is higher. Exactly. Yeah. It's just more that, but if you are on that and you're on it longer. So then they get into local factors. So they talk about dental alveolar operations. And what I liked is they quoted all these stats and said, that's not what people care about. What they want to know is the answer to this question, which is true. This is what we want to know. Among patients exposed to anti-resorptive medications, what is the risk for developing emeronge following a tooth extraction or another dental alveolar procedure? So the current estimates after taking bisphosphonates is 0 to 0.15%. If it's denosumab, 1%. Yep. So that kind of answers that question. That's something you can quote to your patients as far as the risk goes. And they did mention that when you're talking about other procedures, so implants, endo, periodontal procedures, they said it's unknown. They don't know those risks right now. Yep. They, they don't have percentages to quote. They did say MRI like, is more... Yeah, you were saying? You know, I was going to say, the one thing I did like is the risk of MRI after implant placement among patients treated with denosumab has been reported at 0.5%. I think that's also a good number mm -hmm. we can quote. Yeah, that's good. Because a lot of people wonder, like, can I get implants? I'm seeing a patient tomorrow with this. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. No, just for the consult, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'll be able to assess there. When it comes to anatomic factors, they did say MRON is more likely to appear in the mandible 75% time than compared to the maxilla. Probably due to the vascularity, I would assume, mm -hmm. uh, which is decreasing the mandible compared to the maxilla. One thing they did mention, though, is we talked about this causality or coincidence of inflammation and tooth mm -hmm. extraction. So they said it would be viable to see an estimate of the association between tooth extraction and MRON, but adjusted for pre-existing inflammatory dental disease. Okay. The issue is, is what's going to be your control group? Because when are you taking out teeth that don't have inflammation or infection yeah. or pathology or pain? Like usually they have one of those. Yeah, but I do feel you know, sometimes you take a tooth out on a patient like that's a dirty mouth. Mm -hmm. Like that, 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 like you almost want to do a clean before taking that tooth out. <laughs> yeah. And so I do feel that person is going to have more of a chance of developing and it may be just because they take care less and we, we talk about the treatments and, and how oral hygiene matters. And so maybe that person is going to be more prone because they aren't going to take care of their mouth as much. But mm -hmm. it would be good to study. Next thing I want to talk about Comorbidities, you know, they mentioned chemotherapy, corticosteroid exposure, but the next most reported comorbidity is no comorbidity. So chemotherapy, corticosteroids, it really just leads to immunosuppression. Yes, exactly. So I think you can say if they're immunocompromised, that's a risk factor. Now we're getting to management. So once we get into management, one of the biggest things they talk about is should you stop the drug? Does a drug holiday work? Is yeah. it recommended? And it shows that the evidence is inconclusive. Yeah. You know, drug holidays, there's no yeah. real major evidence for it when it comes to bisphosphonates. 
They said it was totally different when it comes to rank L inhibitors, for example, like denosumab, because we know that it has that six month yeah. time frame. So what I've been doing is I always tell patients, well, when was your last dose. injection yep. or dose? We need to time this to be at the end of the six months and then you have to wait two weeks to start it again. Sometimes due to life though, it's hard to schedule that. Yeah, so I, I do something very similar. I wait till five months. Okay. Um, and, and now that I read the article, I could even almost push it back a further month. Well, what I was gonna say is yeah. you, were, you were closer because it, the article says, do it three to four months because yeah. already things are weaning and that yeah. way maybe they're not delaying the initiation. Then, which is now we've realized is a big risk factor for, for fractures. Exactly. So that was something I learned that you don't need to wait till the all the way yeah. in the six months. Maybe, maybe use, as you said, four months, five months, something like that. Yep. You will really want to make sure that they're time to get their next dose at six months. Yeah, and like, or you're delaying maybe a couple of weeks, but not multiple months at a time. Because they advise, you know, reinstituted six to eight weeks post-surgery, yeah. whereas I was doing two weeks. Yeah. So if, if you're going to do six to eight weeks, I mean, you so, got to wait. And so, yeah, so mine was a little bit different. I think it's a combination of both yours and theirs. Mine was five months and I see them at a month for follow-up. Okay. And if everything's be coastalized, I let them go get their next dose. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's a good strategy. I think that's something that a lot of people will adopt. So that was good as far as, you know, does a drug holiday work? Do you have to do that? The other thing I think maybe it's not as much for us, but it's for our medical colleagues is prevention. Like if you're going to start a patient on denosumab or bisphosphonate, give them the risk and send them to the dentist and be like, hey, I'm about to start this patient mm -hmm. on this medication. Do you need to do any work before I do? Well, I noticed there's a huge contrast between this and cancer patients, because you know how cancer oh, patients- Oh, everyone gets, yeah. Yeah, you're going for radiation, Every boom. Teeth full dental evaluation, yeah. do all the extractions, don't delay anything, make it happen, but it doesn't seem like the knowledge base is there for this condition as much. Yeah, my my wife's sister is, an, uh, is a family physician, hmm. and we've had this conversation, I'm actually sending her this article. Oh, because she hadn't heard of it or she, she wasn't enough? She, she, had, she had asked me, she's like, oh, I'm seeing patients, like patients are coming in, so they're going to see an oral surgeon for hemorrhage and stuff. And I was like, you know what? We see it a lot because there isn't discussion when you guys are putting patients on this medication. Or maybe it wasn't as much before, but I'm actually going to send her this article. This is, this is the article to send. Yeah. This is the perfect article. All right. So now let's end the treatment. So stage one, you know, they're exposed bone asymptomatic. You manage with chlorhexidine and improve your oral hygiene. And you're trying to remove the biofilm and trying to decrease the bacterial load. Yeah. If anything's loose. Yeah. Just, just remove it, but you're not necessarily doing much more. Yeah. No aggressive treatment. And you hope that they just stay, stay that way. Yeah. Stage two. Now, remember they're going to have infection. They're going to have pain. So they usually require antibiotics. They yep. still not, might not require surgery. Nope. Still might just be antibiotics and chlorhexidine and mm -hmm. try and get them down to stage control. one and pain control. Mm -hmm. I know a big antibiotic that we used to use at McGill a lot of times was Avalox because it'd yep. be once a day. You can use it for a prolonged period of time. Exactly. People really like that medication for this and try and improve their oral hygiene. I like that they said there's little evidence to suggest that the use of adjunctive therapies such as hyperbaric oxygen or ozone therapy can lead to hemorrhage resolution because I think everyone's kind of realized that now, but unfortunately there were certain papers that were really kind of tried to be promoted. And it was popular at one point. Super yeah. popular at one point. So that's also good from a research point of view because let's be real, that's extremely expensive and hard you to find it. And patients hate it. Yeah. Hives and the oxygen yeah. mass and pressure. So I'm actually happy that it doesn't do anything. Now, they did say that, you know, a randomized prospective placebo-controlled trial of vitamin E and pentoxifilin is underway. Mm -hmm. It will be very interesting to see that because I, I do know, you know, the pentoxifilin yeah. is used by a lot of people, including us at McGill. Yeah, so, we were using it too. Yeah, yeah. so it'd be really nice to know if that's actually effective and, and worth continuing. And then, as you mentioned, if there is a loose peer, a part of bone or a sequestrum, then, you know, you can you know, remove it. You can try and do the most minimally invasive thing just to try and get things to be coastalized. But sometimes in these advanced cases, especially stage three, you're looking at debridement, you're looking at a segmental or marginal resection, mm -hmm. and usually that'll resolve the problem, but you need to make sure you get past the necrotic bone to areas of vital bleeding bone. 
it's it's almost counterintuitive, not for again people who've graduated, but early residents. You're like, oh, trauma caused this, so I don't want to cause more trauma, and I'm going to be as minimal as possible. Mm-hmm. And you almost under debride, and yeah. then you're stuck at the same place, but with a bigger incision now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you you. I'm not saying be forceful, but be aggressive. Get to nice, healthy bleeding bone. If you're going to take that route, you have to do it properly. Definitely. Yeah. And the other nice thing is. I was weird in residency where I actually found these ores very therapeutic and satisfying because the patients asleep, they have this necrotic But there's mask. a distinct smell yeah. when you're... The like smell you, is gross, yes. but you get rid of the bone and then you clean it and it's just like, like it's a cleaning, it looks so nice. It like is, the bone that, is healthy. I will never like, forget like that because we would use the barrel burr, the barrel yeah. burr. That smell that you would get at first when you're cleaning the yeah. bone, you're like, that is an awkward smell. Yeah. 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 But you do feel like you did a great service for them and, they, and their bone is clean now and you feel like you really helped them. So I really like that part of it. So you fracture the jaw and you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're like oh, oh, good. <laughs> get the recon play yeah. there. So that's uh, the end of this article. We chose it because it has, first of all, big, big impact on the residents for a resident reminder. But more importantly, physician papers don't come around that often. No, I think it's a big, not just a resident, I think it's a big impact on anyone practicing oral surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So and I mean, as we said, if you haven't read this article, you need to read this article. Yeah. Like it's going to impact every clinician because all of us deal with hemorrhage. Yeah. No, I, 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 it's, it's actually a topic that I don't, I'm not interested in. It's not enjoyable because I'm always dealing with it, but I really enjoyed this article and I thought it was very well written and I, and I really liked it. Yeah. So hopefully you enjoy it too. Definitely uh, check it out and let us know what you think. Now also let's move into our last segment, recommendations. recommendations for this month. Oscar, what do you have for us? So I have three and it's a variety of oh, things. Wow. Yeah, actually, you know what? Maybe it's two. Okay. So one is I'm depressed because I'm watching the Formula One season. So it's a recommendation to just, anyone who's a Mercedes fan, just stick to it. Like hopefully it turns around. <laughs> so that's one. I'm getting that off, like off my chest. Um, <laughs> two is a recommendation of what I am going to watch. Oh, okay. Wow. I'm going to watch the last season of Peaky Blinders. Oh, I haven't watched Peaky Blinders. Yeah, so I really like the first five seasons, and then I realized that now the six seasons, I don't know why I fell behind. Yeah. Out, so I'm going to watch that, so I'm recommending I've it heard good things about that show. Before I've even watched it, but I'm excited to watch it. And then the last thing, my recommendation is, it's not a recommendation, it's talking about what I've been watching, what I've been doing, and it's the NHL playoffs. And this is more a shout-out to anyone who is out west. Alberta. Yeah, so lucky. Good, you Honestly, good for you guys. I know. I'm excited for either one, because... They're Canadian team and they're not Ottawa or Montreal, so mm-hmm. I'm excited yeah. for them. Yeah. I'm devastated for anyone who's in Ontario and is a Leaf fan because I, I can't. Do you follow them. the NHL closely? I never asked I follow the Leafs before. closely. Oh, wow. Okay. Actually, I follow any sport closely pretty much. Like, I knew you follow, obviously, you follow a ton of sports, yeah. but I don't follow the NHL. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wasn't sure if you did. No, I, I do, and I was I was devastated. The day that they lost, game, my wife came to sit beside me, and I'm like, don't talk to me. And then I went upstairs because I needed space, and she came upstairs. I'm like, no, I'm not joking. Don't talk to me. Like, <laughs> I, I, I need some space. You're yeah. in your shell. Yeah. So that, that would say that my reminder is anyone who's a Canadian like hockey fan, watch the playoffs right now because Edmonton and Calgary. That's a great series to watch. Definitely. Yeah. And you know, as I said, I don't really follow the NHL. I do love playoffs of any sport, oh. literally any sport. Yeah. You're so wearing a Blue Jays jacket. Yeah. I, exactly. <laughs> I don't watch baseball, but I watch the playoffs. Yeah. And I I was following the Leafs, obviously, during their playoff run. And I was considering going to game seven. Oh. Then I went and looked at the tickets. And I, I was like, what did you say? So now I got a Fritz question. How do you afford a game seven yeah, tickets? Well, no, that, no, I said I was considering going. Then I saw the prices of tickets. Astronaut. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to this, obviously. And, but and thank you, God I didn't go. I was saying, game seven is a risky game to go It's the best night or the worst night. Exactly. So you've either spent a ton of money and your team won, which is great. So that's a negative and a positive, right? You spend money negative, but your team won positive. Or it can be a horrendous night because you spend a ton of money 
and your team went home. <laughs> yeah. So that's a tricky one to go to. I was happy that I ended up going, but you and know, you then again, when you though, like when you get to go to a game seven at the yeah. same time, like so, yeah, I felt really bad, and I know. And then Schmarter got his car. Yeah, he got carjacked. Car I know. Two days later, that's a rough week. week. Rough week. Yeah. yeah. So shout out to the, our listeners that follow hockey. I know there's a ton of Leafs fans. As I said, I just really followed the playoffs, so I was really sad, but I wasn't like devastated. But yeah. some people are hardcore oh, hockey fans. My brother-in-law. Yeah. I don't think he went out for like the next three days. <laughs> yeah, well, you wouldn't talk to your wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's only a date. The next day, I talked. <laughs> um, and so, what's yours? So I want to recommend a movie. Oh, it's okay. not a new movie. Okay. The only reason I'm recommending it is because it came up on Amazon Prime, so it's free right now. Okay. For everyone that watches Prime or has Prime Video, you can watch it for free. It's called The Ides of March. Ryan Gosling, George Clooney, Evan Rachel Wood. Pre-screening, I like it. Dude. Oh, it's not new. It's actually from 2011. That's what I'm saying. It's not new, but it's it's on it's on Prime Video. It popped up, so I rewatched it. I've already seen it. I think like five times. I feel like I've seen this movie. It's phenomenal. And I think I really liked it, but I just don't remember So it. I really like Ryan Gosling. I really like George Clooney. Like, I like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, I have Philip Seymour Hoffman yes. too. Yeah. yeah. And there's another famous guy too, but I don't know his well, name. Gimani. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, he's, he's famous I'm too. I'm looking this up, guys. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he's really famous and they're all phenomenal. And it's a drama slash political movie. And the yes. more you know about politics, the more you'll like the movie, but you don't need to know anything about politics yeah. to the movie. But... I love this so movie. So you recommend? Okay, I'm gonna watch it. Strong, again. strong, strong recommendation okay. for everyone to watch this movie. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it at least once. And if you've already watched it and you want to watch it again, it's on Amazon Prime. So that was my recommendation. Second question, follow up. Another, are you watching the race this weekend? Which race? Oh, you're not even an F1 fan. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rhetorical yeah, question because yeah. I wanted to see uh, this guy Mercedes. Is even still following F1? Yeah, it's in Spain. Yeah. Okay, you're watching. Right, shout out, actually, shout out to my patient who I just treated yesterday. He's going to the Budapest Grand Prix. He came, oh, wow. came out to his follow up appointment all decked in Ferrari gear. I'm oh, like, he's having the time of his life. I charge him for a follow up visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the I'm enjoying the season because I'm not a Mercedes fan. I would say, who are you a fan of though? Because you're never really committed to anyone. ABM. Anyone but Mercedes. Oh my gosh, you're one <laughs> you of those. Support, yeah, you support Mercedes. <laughs> I'm like, anyone but them. So last year I was so happy that everyone. This year I would love it if Ferrari went. Honestly, I just want good racing. So I would say, I'm a huge Mercedes fan, but it is nice to have, for anyone who's a real like F1 fan, it's nice when Ferrari does well. Like it's almost like mm-hmm. it's, the F1 is missing something when Ferrari isn't doing it. Plus it's boring when you know who's gonna win every race. I just I just want variety. I want different people. I want different competition. Yeah, which is like, so now even if you aren't a Mercedes fan, it would be nice for Mercedes to step back some, up. Yeah. You have three really competitive cars. Exactly. Yeah, you don't I want think. them just kind of falling off into the distance. But yeah, no, I don't really have a team or, or a favorite person to be honest. Okay, so you're a bandwagon trip. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll show up to your clinic and my red bull yeah. up. <laughs> when Mercedes is back, you got Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> All right, that was a great episode, Oscar. Nice to celebrate our two year anniversary in person. Yeah, that is funny. It is our two year tradition. We can make sure at least for the anniversary episode, we always I'll do see in you every two years. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, everyone else enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, teeth and titanium omfs at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Take care, and hopefully you guys are signing up for Iceland. <laughs>